Alright, this is Cody from That I May See, and just kind of wanted to give you a brief intro to the episode. Uh, Today we'll be talking about the book of Esther and how Esther is a book that often uh, is read in really weird ways. And after reading it this last time, I realized that the book of Esther is about power and leveraging that power for others, leveraging privilege for others. And what you'll see about this book is you'll see that um, the powerful often use their power to instill fear into people to get them to do what they want. They're using their power to instill fear rather than to inspire hope and joy in people. And and you're just going to see this all throughout the book of Esther. You're going to see someone use their power to inspire fear, and then you're going to see someone use their power to save others. And so uh, I hope you enjoy this episode of the That I May See podcast as we see wonderful things in Esther. Amen? Amen. What's up? Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. Awesome. What have you been up to this morning? You know, uh, not too much. Just reading Esther and getting excited to talk Um, about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those listening, we we recorded like an entire episode and it was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, It really was. Um, We can say that because no one's going to hear it. So that's right. Yeah, I I definitely deleted it. That was the best. (laughs) It would have changed everything. Yeah, Yeah, it would have set revival. In America, all this stuff. No, but uh, no, it was dope. And uh, and then um, I don't I don't know how to you know I'm a noob so when it comes to the sound stuff, so I don't know how to work my mic. That uh, that Miriam and, and Nate got me very well, so that's my bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm just gonna use my headphones now, and uh, we're just gonna we're gonna dive into uh, the book of Esther, and and kind of before, and I'll hand it over to to Miriam. And just a moment, but kind of before we get to the book of Esther, just as a reminder, um, the book of Esther is asked a, a lot of important questions, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it, it asks, I think, primarily of, of its audience, at least of the people reading is, how will you use your power that you have, right? Or, or how will you use the privilege you might you might have because Esther is is about power and and leveraging that power leveraging leveraging that privilege for others Mm -hmm. Um, what are some what are some of your thoughts on that man oh man there is (laughs) there's so much here there's so ah there's so much here um so maybe maybe to start why don't you give just a quick background of kind of how how the people of how the Jews have ended up where they are uh, yep. to start this story? Because I think that there, there's so many power dynamics already at work. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so, um, so much that God has been up to and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. So this takes place about a hundred years after the Babylonian exile. Right. So to kind of uh, rewind a little bit, the, w- one of the things that you see in the, the major and the minor prophets is, is, is part of during part of Israel's history. They kept on falling into wickedness and oppressing other people, oppressing the vulnerable, the marginalized, the poor. And God keeps on saying, hey, 
like you're worshiping these idols and the expression of that idol worship is you are harming your neighbor, right? You're, right. you're, you're oppressing your neighbor. And so he, he tell he sends them prophets. He sends them Isaiah, Ezekiel, um, Jeremiah, Amos, Obadiah. I mean, you can just go through all the minor prophets and he sends these, these prophets as warnings like, Hey, if you do not repent, I will let two, basically two different nations come in and, and take you captive. Now, when Isaiah is preaching, it's this nation of Assyria. And then later on, it becomes the, when Jeremiah preaches, it becomes the nation of Babylon that takes the, the Jews into captivity. Right. And so um, there, when, you, when you read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, there was a group of Jews uh, that did return to Jerusalem to, to rebuild uh, the city, to, to build a wall and all those different things. We kind of talk about that in previous episodes. But then there's another Jewish community that did not return to Israel. And this Jewish community lived in Susa, which is the capital of the Persian Empire. Mm. And, and so uh, they're still in a foreign land where they don't have power. They don't necessarily have privilege. They're the minorities in the country, and they're looked down upon and despised. Right. And so um, in this book, you're going to see a lot of sexism. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a lot of racism. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to see, even though God does not actually speak verbally in this book, what he's saying to the Holy Spirit, I think, is going to illuminate some of these things, um, some of these issues that we see in the ancient world and even how they play into today. Absolutely. And, you know, I, you, you said they're, they're living, this Jewish community, community is living right there in Susa in, this, in the capital. And it's like they are in the belly of the empire. Right. And it there are going to be things you see happen that you kind of go, Hey, why, wait, why did they mm -hmm. do that? Or why is that going on? And we have to keep in mind this context of how much they really have been swallowed up in empire. Right. And there, you know, there are points when you, you kind of look at Esther's decisions. And I think um, Esther's a really interesting character because mm -hmm. we want, to have her we're drawn to lift up our old testament characters as as heroes as they are you know we want to be able to just put them on a pedestal and esther's someone that you know i don't i think the text doesn't allow us to just put her on a pedestal and not ask any questions um, mm -hmm. Because that's never how the Bible narrative works. There, there's no mm -hmm. characters that are just, we're supposed to sort of unquestioningly just take. And yet when you look at her story, you see how she is trying to kind of navigate life inside the empire. Mm -hmm. As someone who has a very limited amount of power, she gets a little more power and she is wrestling with what to do with it. Um, mm -hmm. So, there, oh man, there's so much there. I think to really start and lay the context for the power dynamics in this story and for what God is really just up to, I think you have to start with Vashti. That is mm. where the story starts. Um, and if you have not read this book, sit down and read it all in one sitting mm. or listen to it or something, because this is a, this is a really good story. Like yeah. there are twists and turns and there's places where you think you can see what's going to come. And then there's like a plot twist and there's all these like mm -hmm. coincidences that are not really coincidences. And it's just a great story. Um, yeah. 
So, so, so Miriam, can, can I do this real quick? Can I yeah. kind of set, can I, can I, can I kind of set up the story and oh, then absolutely. I would love for you absolutely. to like go deep, like just deep dive in it. Is that okay? Let's do it. Okay. So in chapter one, um, the, the Persian king Ahasuerus or Hazaris, however you uh, like to pronounce it, he, he throws a banquet for the powerful. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he, he throws a banquet for 180 days for the elites, basically for the princes, for the army officers and the military people, the, the nobles. Okay. So he does that for the empire. And then at and the end of part, this, oh, I kind of picture like if you've seen the Hunger Games when they go to the capital, yes, yes, and there's yes. just like the opulence everywhere. That's kind of what yeah. I picture for this. Yeah, no, that's a that's a perfect example. It's a it's a great picture of what's going on here because that's that's what's happening, right? So then at the end of this banquet kind of like season, because it's like 180 days, it's literally <laughs> like a entire season of of the year. Um, then they have another kind of uh, feast. Um, of some sort where it says, you know, it says from the greatest to the least. And, and before uh, I'm about to hand it over to Miriam for a second, but before we get into that, I just want to make a comment that, that what this shows us, right? So remember the first banquet is 180 days. It's a long time, which means a lot of money, a lot of resources are being poured into this banquet for specifically the elites, the princes, the army, the officers, the nobles. And then at the very end, there is a banquet that's only seven days. Now we may think, well, that's usually a banquet and I may last a few hours, right? But but back then, a lot of times, even weddings and banquets like this mm-hmm. would last seven days. But but compare the seven days to the 180, and it says uh, it says this this banquet is from the greatest from the greatest to the least. And so it is the only it, the the banquet of seven days is for the least of these, or at least for those who are less important than the elites and, and the reason I say that is because this is an empire where the least go last hmm. okay yeah. it's an empire where the least go last so the question is 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 and you know when we read this is this our society right like, is, the, is this the United States and and I think the answer is yes but but right. then Queen Queen Vashi comes up and I would love for Miriam to just kind of like take us deep into what's going on with her yeah um, so I think to understand um, Vashti, we have to think about the placement of this story in the canon. Um, mm. This is something that's, you know, we think about sometimes the Bible books as sort of being put together randomly, but this mm. is like an edited anthology. So mm. the books are placed in specific places as kind of part of the overall story. And so the last thing that comes before Esther is this, the end of Nehemiah. And at the end of Nehemiah, there's this kind of crazy, interesting passage where basically Nehemiah comes in and says, okay, like any Jews who have married foreign women need to like, this is, he basically is like, this is a huge problem. He like takes them into task. He says, do not marry these people. Doesn't Solomon, the king of Israel, sin because of women like these? Like he's Mm -hmm. like foreign women were his downfall. You're engaged. You're showing your yourself faithless to God by marrying Mm -hmm. foreign wives. Right. And when you read that, I think you kind of go, oh, man, like these foreign women are like so dangerous. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's really interesting. And I think it's the, the, the scripture is always kind of like turning the camera angle around a little bit and showing you different sides of it. What's the problem with the foreign wives? It's, it's not 
these women themselves. Mm -hmm. It's whether you are taking actions that move you further away from faithfulness to God or that draw your heart back to the covenant community. And the start of this story, we have Vashti who probably other than, well, uh, we'll get into that later, but she is a foreign wife and she's not, she's a foreign wife married to a foreigner, right? Or to, you know, so she's not married to a Jew, but I think if you look at her in the larger context of scripture, she acts righteously. And Mm -hmm. so it is so interesting to see that God immediately shows us an example Mm. of a foreign woman who acts righteously. And so it's not, I think like as women, we can sometimes read the text and start to feel like, you know, wonder like, what have these, what have these women done that's so evil, you know, like why, why do they have to be cast out? And I think God is making sure we know that this is about people's relationship with God, not about their gender or their nationality. Like that is not like God finds and loves and welcomes people from every gender, every nationality. It's all about that like covenant relationship with him and whether they want to like move towards it and whether they act righteously. And I think God often like Mm. shames the covenant community by showing us outsiders who have acted more righteously than us. Mm -hmm. And that's that's all over Jonah church. Like there's people that we look at and criticize because they don't believe what we believe. But I think God would say, have they not done more righteously than you? Right. So, uh, so yeah. all that to say, we get into this story and this is really a story about like what happens to women's bodies when men are in power and mm. God is absent. Mm. Wow. And you wow. see how feeding their this is where sexuality and wealth are tied in right because Mm -hmm. you cannot love money i think you cannot love money and serve money Mm -hmm. and then turn around and treat people with dignity Mm. because you have you are training your heart to to be served and to to use and to and all the things we do with money when we are craving wealth like it's like look they're, they're just serving themselves they're just feeding themselves it's all about them he says um he told the you know servants like to give them in whatever they wanted right the wine the wine flows freely like there's this line where it says the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve every man whatever he wished mm-hmm. and when you approach economics as though I should be able to have whatever I want. Mm. You can't then Mm -hmm. flip around and relate righteously to women because you're in that same attitude of, I should be allowed to have whatever I want. Right. And And it's like that with the King. (laughs) That's that's right. And it's like, here's, what's crazy is that like here in America, we have like built an entire worldview off of this. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Like the um, American, like I deserve. I should be able to get whatever I want. Yeah, yeah, and then and then what you know? I think what we we've seen so many events that have happened over the past few years of people's reactions, people groups or communities' reactions of not getting what they want, right? right? And 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 they rise up. You know, I think January sixth is that is that you know I think right. there there were a lot of um, oh yeah that's that's, that's Trump. Trump supporters who are like, yo, the, the American dream promised me this and now I'm not getting this. So I'm going to respond in violence or even right. I, I think even one of the things I've seen among men that actually really scares me among like young men um, who, who obviously, you know, a lot of these people are not believers, but um, there there's uh, I can't remember what they're called, but there's a group of young men uh, online who are mad because women won't date them. Oh, and, yeah. and because women will not sleep with them. Yeah. And and I remember um when I, I was I was listening to like a forum or something like on that, talking about like how dangerous this is. And and it was a, it was a forum by a group of people who are not believers. And I remember I was like, but you guys are attacking like the surface, but you need to get at the root of the problem. The root of the problem is that uh uh, we live in a society where everyone, most especially men, think that sex is a right, that they deserve mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. right? And I remember thinking in my head, like, when you see sex as a right, eventually you will take it by force. That's so right. Hmm. You know, like, yeah. eventually, like, you will be like, you will assert yourself because you think you deserve it. You think, I right. should have this, and if I'm not getting this, that means something is being taken from me and I have to take it back. Great. Great. And, and, and I think you're going to see some of those same elements in the book of Esther. Absolutely. And because you brought that up, I just want to say, I think it's so important to understand that while sex is a, is a want, it is a very powerful want. Right. It is not a need or a right. right. And when That's we define right. it as a need, then we think I have the right to yep. do whatever it mm. takes. To That's exactly right. Me. But right. it's not a need, it's a want. And right. so I think that distinction is really important. And right. so you see what happens here is Queen Vashti, um, the, the king says, let's bring her out and show her off. This is like, let's exploit her. Let's take advantage yeah. of her. Um, yeah. And she refused to come. Yeah. And I think she had to have known how oh, dangerous yeah. this was. And so this, oh, yeah. this element of just resistance against empire that actually starts from the empire itself, mm -hmm. like someone who represents the empire, is just so amazing. And it's such a reminder mm -hmm. of how God can dismantle the empire however he wants. Mm -hmm. And um, another person this reminds me of is, uh, is it Herod's wife or Pilate's wife? Pilate's wife. Yeah, who yeah. had a dream. And like, she's like, we shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. um, so you see God, like God is not abandoning the people who are not just being oppressed by the empire, but the people who are trapped in the empire system itself. Like right. God is at work in and through them. And we see her stand up and this is just, oh my goodness. It's just absolutely crazy. So what happens is she stands up and then his advisors, um, the King's advisors tell her like, 
we got to do something about this because if people mm -hmm. hear that she resisted and got away with mm -hmm. it, then they'll get out of control. And the message yeah. says, is that what we want? A country of angry women who don't know their place. Yep. And I'm just like it. Okay. So first of all, this is like one Oh one on how oppressors operate. Yep. You try to resist. We are going to squash you so hard that it not only stops you, but it sends a message to everybody else. Don't resist. Right. Not worth That's it. Right. right? Um, I mean, right. is that not how every empire everywhere? Works? Oh yeah. And, and here's what, here's what I love that this exposes in the empire. Cause this, cause this, you, you have to really look at what the text is saying. Right. So it says, you know, Queen Vashti refused to come to the King's command delivered by the eunuchs. Um, the King became very angry and his wrath burned within him. He, he, here's why I bring this up. And, and I'm going to correlate this to the modern day, is that empire truly only serves one specific demographic. Hmm. Okay. And here's why I say this. Queen Vashti is living in this empire and, and the empire promises everyone opulence and privilege and power. And I think what's going on with Vashti, and I'll correlate it to modern day, is she's realizing, oh, I still really don't have power in this castle. Right. And, right. And, and why I say that is because I've noticed this among uh, a lot of white uh, women mm. Um, mm. Who, who have been promised the power um, and the protection of white supremacy, right? And there, right. And there, there is power and privilege that, that white women do have. But what I've seen over the past few years is there have been a lot of white women uh, within the church and within other movements that have risen up against the caste system because the caste system betrayed them. Right. 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 The caste system did not protect them from the RB power Weinstein. is always going to consolidate at the very, very exactly, very exactly. In the in the caste system, it did not protect them from Harvey Weinstein. It did not protect mm -hmm. them from Bill Cosby. It did not protect them from all these other people. Right. And from all these abusive systems. And so they're like, wait a minute, I see the crack in this system, and now I see that it doesn't really serve me. It's actually going to subjugate me. And I think that's mm. what Queen Vashti has realized that actually, right. even though I'm the queen of this entire empire, <laughs> this is this kingdom is really only going to truly serve my husband. Right, right. There, yeah, there's this, they, they say, these advisors say, if the king agrees, you know, let him pronounce this ruling, she's permanently banned. And let the king give her royal position to a woman who knows her place. Mm. Um, extent, the, the king's ruling should become public knowledge throughout the kingdom, extensive as it is. Every woman, regardless of her social position, will show proper mm. respect to her husband. And mm. then it says, I, I just love how the message translates this, this. It says, he sent bulletins to every part of the kingdom. Every man is master of his own house. Whatever he says goes. Wow. And wow. I just think we have to ask ourselves, do, do our the culture in our homes and in our mm. churches look more like the upside down kingdom of God or mm. more like the empires of this mm -hmm. world? Yep. Because this idea that the man is the master of his own house, mm -hmm. that is an idea that is nothing that that like if you're getting it from the bible you're getting it from king xerxes that's right like that is an idea from empire that's right it's 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 you know one of the one of the ways in which i because you know me i'm a heavy critique of like modern christianity and the ways that it just 
is in bed with the world, but it's a, you know, that, that type of relationship with, with men and men and women, that's a Babylonian Persian Christianity. That's not the Christianity of, of uh, the new Testament the, 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 yeah. uh, of Jesus. And, and I, I I'll say this, and, and, and I want to get in this for just a little bit, that what's going on, we have to be very careful um, to, to, to not miss this because I think it's powerful. What's going on underneath King um, Ahasuerus and all the nobles and all the husbands, what's going on underneath their reaction is fear. Absolutely. Okay? It's fear. And their, their fear is that the power structure will be disrupted and social power will be lost. And here's what fear causes us to do. Fear always causes us to sin and harm our neighbors, right? You think about think about the Holocaust, where the where the the, the Third Reich and the and the Nazi regime convinced Germany that Jews were dangerous, that them existing in our society was dangerous, that they're taking the jobs, that they're hoarding the wealth, that 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 the Jews are a threat to German flourishing, right? Whether it's genocide, whether it's slavery, whether it's Jim Crow, all these things happen because of fear. I mean, if you think of Native American genocide, wow. when, when the European settlers come over here, they begin to fear like, wait a minute, we can't coexist. We can't both have enough. It's the it's the fear of scarcity. Right. Wow. Yeah. All, yeah. You can't both have them. enough. So I'm going to take mine. Yeah. It's all fear. And it causes it causes, um, you know them to to dismiss and and subjugate and oppress clean Vashti. Mm -hmm. um and so it's just, yeah it's 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 the fear of losing power because what what they're basically saying in this book and we'll get to the way in which it affects minorities too but but the, the common thread is that if women or if minorities do not fall in line hmm. everything will fall apart right everything will fall apart and we see that most potently in the very first probably half of the book when it comes to women you're going to see that the way they treat the jews too because of their ethnicity as well wow man yeah it's just so here's a okay so so the story kind of goes on so vashti is you know banished and there's this um well first of all this is something that happens in so many places in the scripture you mm -hmm. have these advisors that come in and manipulate kings or, you know, just whisper evil in their ears. And it just drives me crazy. It's like these, mm -hmm. this boys club where they're like, Hey, you know what you should do. And it's just like, it's evil. And I, I just think it's Proverbs like warns against this, like your companion, your companions will shape you. Mm. And if you hang out with people who are not righteous their mm. their input will influence your actions that's and right. so that's why it's like it is dangerous who we hang out with like online for example mm. and like what voices are we putting in our ears over and over and what are they saying to us are they calling us to righteousness are they calling mm. us to stand up for justice are they calling us to protect the oppressed or are they singing like, hey, you know what you could do? Like, so anyway, so he he has this kind of basically like contest where all these girls are taken in. And sometimes this gets kind of gets portrayed as like, 
um, like, oh, they really want to be selected. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but I think if you, um, if you, you know, not to go back to the Hunger Games again, but if you've seen mm -hmm. that when they kind of come and draw lots and um, there's one person who is going to, you know, win the Hunger Games and is going to theoretically have this sort of life of luxury. Um, so there's this one potential path. Um, but it's a death sentence for everybody else. It's, it's your life as you knew it is over. Your relationships are over. Yeah. And I just, um, <clears throat> it's trafficking. I mean, it, yeah, it just, it's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's evil yeah. and these, these women are brought in They're there for months and months. Um, they be, just become part of the King's harem. And I think, you know, yes, it is true that if you were in this time, this was much more common, but something being common doesn't make it less evil. And we have to pause and grieve any time image bearers are harmed. That's right. And I think that, you know, it's important to call this what it is. Like, this is evil. Like, <clears throat> Esther becoming queen was not a stroke of luck. Right. It was um, God turning absolute evil into this little glimmer of good. Yeah. And I would even say, too, um, one of the things that we have to disciple out of our heads is that mm. men are the righteous ones. Mm. Um, because I don't think it's a coincidence that God appoints this, this woman to really be the savior of the Jews right? Um, at this point. Because if you read scripture, I mean, like, it really, you really are hard pressed to find righteous men. As, as, <laughs> as, as much as you would think that's not true, it, it's, it really it is, is true. Is. And so, um, but, but I, what, I want, what I want to do for more, I just want to focus on Haman for a little bit. Hmm. You know, so Haman. Okay, before you do that, I'm just going to say it's worth noting if there is a Messiah figure in this book, it's Esther, right? That's right. This is accurate. So it's just interesting. I think that's I think that's worth noting. But yeah, let's talk about Haman. Yeah, absolutely. So Haman comes on the scene. It says, you know, in chapter three, it says after these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him, right? And so Haman's, you know, he's, he's walking through the empire. People are paying homage to him. And it says Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him. This is very important. Remember, Mordecai is a Jew. This is Esther or Hadassah's uncle, okay? They are, they are minorities in this empire. They do not have social power. And I just want to, like, point out the bravery of Mordecai. Yeah. To, to see this figure and say, I am not bowing down to you. Um, and, and this makes, uh, this makes Haman angry enough to be like, I want to kill all the Jews. If this is how this one Jew acts. I, I, I want to kill all of them. And you, and you see this racial discrimination that's happening and, and this plan, this actual ethnic genocide that right. that's about to uh, take place. But, Mordecai, um, I love what it says in verse four. It says, now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them 
that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand for he told them that he was a Jew, right? So mm -hmm. th this is very important in the story. Remember, we have sexism and now we have racism. And right. there's th there's going to be this plan to, to kill the Jews. And remember, it's all about fear. Hmm. It's all about fear because this is how it works. As soon as one person does not bow down to the caste system, that puts fear in the hearts of those who are at the top of the caste system that there are going to be more like them. It's going to inspire others to also not bow down. Right. 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 And this is basically how revolutions happen sometimes. This is basically, um, you know, how, this is the civil rights movement. Right. Right. Um, this is the, the women's suffrage movement. This is, uh, you know, th these are people, these are, these are, people groups that have been oppressed and are like, I'm not taking this any longer. And also I'm not going to show honor to, mm. to leaders who oppress me and see that I, and, and don't view that I have dignity. I'm not, right. I'm not going to do that. And so um, what are your thoughts on that? Man, I, I think, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And it's just so interesting to follow this story between Haman and Mordecai. Mm -hmm. because it is um you just see the the what's the word um you see god foiling haman's plans at every turn mm -hmm. and i i just i love um i love watching this unfold it's i mean it's such an incredible story and um, does Mordecai remind you a bit of like Daniel in terms of like mm -hmm. re that refusal, refusal to bow? Yeah, I definitely think he's he's a Daniel figure or, you know, right. one of the he you know Hebrew boys type right. scenario. Yeah. Yeah. What? So. So that kind of takes us into. Man, this like heartbreaking. Well. Like you, you're talking about, I mean, it's, it's crazy how power just buckles down and mm -hmm. is like, okay, now we're not just gonna kill this guy. Like, let's just go ahead and wipe out every single Jew. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's almost crazy if we didn't see it happening around the world today. Yeah. Like, this is the, like, I love what you brought out. Like, fear is the root of genocide. Mm-hmm. So well, and, and I think, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, and remember, Mordecai says something very important. I'm telling you, this is so important. If I, if you're a woman, if you're a minority of any kind, if you, if you are part of a people group that has less power than the dominant uh, caste, he says to her in, in verse uh, 13, chapter four, when, mm -hmm. when Esther kind of learns of Hammond's plan, to uh -huh. uh, kill the Jews. This is what Mordecai says to her. And this is, I'm telling you, this is so important, especially for minority. It says, and Mordecai told, told him to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. This is kind of what we, 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 we talked about this with Vashti. What he's That's saying true. is, he's saying at the end of the day, if they realize you're a Jew, it does not matter how much power you think you have, they will kill you too. And, and, the, and, and, and this is so important for 
for for whether you know you're a woman or a minority or 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 part of any marginalized people group to to kind of um, assimilate to the caste system hmm. like there's like there because sometimes we're tempted to think oh if I just assimilate if I just play ball if I just you know play the role then that right. will protect me right right mm -hmm. and it it won't work and I and right. like I see that so often with um you know minority political commentators who mm. will spout out the same racist rhetoric for their white constituents because their white constituents don't want to say it and then what happens is is something will happen and either they'll people will turn on that minority commentator or or something will happen to where you realize oh they still don't even respect you and you're right. doing their dirty work right you right. know absolutely and so I think over and over again, Mordecai and, and Vashti display that, hey, it does not matter how close you are to the top of the caste system. If you are not at the very top, then this thing will betray you hmm. and it will turn on you no matter how much you pledge your allegiance to it, no matter how much resource, schooling, education, no matter how much of your life you give to it, this thing hmm. is not loyal to you. And, 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 and underneath that, I would even say, about idolatry your idols don't love you oh amen they, they, they you you can try to serve them you can try to play ball you can try to do all those things but they will betray you at the opportune moment they will mm -hmm. they will leave you in your sin they will leave you in the darkness they will leave you in your oppression but god will never do that right amen amen and i I think because, I mean, I don't know how long we've been talking here, but um, I think to to really kind of go to this element of what our, the heart of our podcast is, like, what are the wonderful things that we mm -hmm. see in the book of Esther? Mm -hmm. I think for me, um, there's this wrestling I have as I read it with this question of why is God absent? Like, why mm -hmm. does the author choose to not mention God. Hmm. And I think there's a couple reasons. One is that um, it, it says something, I think, intentional about God's people in exile and how, mm -hmm. which the prophets go into and kind of show that exile doesn't turn their hearts back to God completely. Mm -hmm. And so you see a little bit of kind of like a, a, a just a little vision of what's going on and, um, maybe the sense of, a sense in which they have not, their hearts are not as fully turned towards God as mm -hmm. um, the hope was that exile would, would work in them. But I think we also see um, that we are supposed to see God's hand still at work, keeping his mm -hmm. promises. Like in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you. I will curse. Mm -hmm. that's not a description of what happens to Haman, <laughs> you yep. know, like his destruction comes because in the end, if you side against the oppressed, you are siding against God himself that's because right. God will stand with them. That's God right. will not abandon them. God will not forget them. And even in the heart of the empire, God is at work 
to care for the oppressed, to protect them, to bring justice. Um, the story of Esther is full of, of what we would like say coincidences. And I, I read somebody who said coincidences are miracles where God prefers to stay anonymous. Mm. And I think you, you have God just doing mm. miracle after miracle mm -hmm. to ensure that his people, his promise are preserved, are protected. And I, to me, that's yeah. just so amazing because I can get disheartened by the evil of the empire. Mm -hmm. Like it's exhausting. And yeah. to be a woman to be a minority, to live at the intersection of some of those things as so many people do is so disheartening and draining. And yet mm -hmm. Esther is this book that says, don't you think for one second that God has forgotten about you. Mm -hmm. And even if you search the skies and you cannot find his name anywhere, he is still at work. He is still preserving. Mm -hmm. He is still turning up rocks and, moving in the shadows and yeah. working and refusing to abandon the powerless to the hands of the empire. Amen. So what, what about for you? What, what is you kind of look at this book where, what is good news to you in Esther? What encourages yeah. you? Yeah. So I'll, I'll get, I'll put, I'll put it in context. Absolutely. Here lately I have been disheartened by the amount of performative activism hmm. in communities and performative uh, care and politics and, and all these different things. Hmm. But what's good news to me in the midst of that is, is uh, toward the end of Esther, once kind of uh, Queen Esther and Mordecai are kind of back in power, right. um, it says that, you know, they sent letters, all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus namely words of peace and truth. And that's, mm. that's encouraging to me because one of the things I love about Mordecai is Mordecai is not performative. Right. right? Mordecai is like, I am about the welfare of my people. So much so that's actually the very last thing it says in the book of Esther, which is very important. Anytime I read a book of the Bible is that um, any, what the way the book ends is going to give you a lot of information and a lot of, lean into what the entire book is about and at the very end it says for mordecai the jew was second only to king ahasuerus and in great among the jews and in favor with his many kinsmen one who sought the good of his people and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation hmm. and so if you're out there listening today and, and and maybe it's your home or maybe it's a neighborhood or maybe it's a school or or program or well you know maybe you're in charge of something that involves vulnerable people. Seek the good of those people. Hmm. Speak for the welfare of them. Um, fight for those things, and God will bless it. And um, Amen. So yeah, that, that's kind of good news for me. But but one thing I wanted to say too, uh, for those uh, to kind of try to wrap their mind around Queen Vashti, if you want a modern example of Queen Vashti's situation. Remember Simone Biles. Hmm. Okay. Remember Simone Biles is someone because she mentioned because of her mental health and different things that she did not want to perform in the Olympics. And, every, you know, everybody went crazy. How could you do this? You traitor, this, this, and that. But what I think she, what, what I think she did 
that's very much like Queen Vashti is she she valued her own dignity over her performance, mm, which amen. sent a message to so many just precious little girls. Yeah. Uh, and, and minority women who, and just really people everywhere, to be honest, who, uh, who struggle with the temptation to perform at the expense of their body, mm. at the expense of their mind, and that you don't actually have to sacrifice those things to be valuable, to even be seen as. Um, wow. That, think of Simone Bond. Oh, so good. I love that you brought that comparison because you see someone who, what you said, chose their own dignity mm-hmm. over being a commodity to be right. you know, in service of other people. And we don't belong to ourselves. Ultimately, we belong to God. But we are treasured by him. Like you can never treat yourself with as much dignity as God views you with. That's right. Because he he sees you with so much compassion, so much love, so much dignity. And And I love that. And there are so many people out there who just like their entire life has been the pressure to perform, which is why Mm -hmm. I love the story of Mary and Martha. Right. Mm -hmm. You know. And, um, you know, Mary is, is, you know, she's, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, being discipled by him, taught by him. And, you know, Martha's kind of like anxious running around trying to serve everybody. And one thing I love about the story is Jesus does not get mad at Mary for just sitting there. Right. Right. He's like, why aren't you serving? Uh Uh-huh. He's like, she is just there to just be. And you can do that with God. Like God does not, God doesn't even see your value in you serving him. Right, right. Like your value is simply that you are his, not that you serve him. him. And so I hope that encourages anybody that that you can just be and God values you and your performance um, is not indicative of uh, any way in which God sees you. Mm -hmm. Amen. That That is so good. Well, I, I know we need to wrap up here. I feel like we could do a whole series on Esther because there's oh, yeah. so much here. But mm-hmm. read this book, you know, um, mm-hmm. pay attention to the story. Uh, ask yourself, like Cody said at the beginning, like, um, what was that question you said at the beginning? Like, what are the power dynamics here? And are these the power dynamics at play in my situation? Right. And, you know, how am I going to use my power? Yeah. How do you, but, yeah. How do you use your power in your family, your friendships, your community? Your, because, right. because the thing is really, I mean, we live in a time where to some degree, everybody has some level of power, even if it's minimal. Right. right? But the question is, how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it for yourself or hmm. are you going to use it on behalf of others? And Jesus always used it on behalf of others. You see that on the cross, right? Remember, they accuse him. They say, why don't you use your powers to come down from the cross? And he he, he wouldn't use his, he wouldn't use his power for himself. Amen. He would use it for others. To kind of bring us full circle as we close, you highlighted at the beginning that feast um, where the the rich feast, the, the, the people at the top feast for just mm-hmm. days and days and days. And then there's that short feast at the end for that includes everyone that includes the poor. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting to note that in the Esther chapter nine, 
as the Jews get relief from their enemies. They have this month where their sorrow was turned into joy. They're mourning into a day of celebration. He, um, Mordecai, I believe, writes them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and mm. giving presents of food to one another and gifts mm. to the poor. There, mm. there is no party in God's kingdom that the poor are not included in. Amen. So, Amen. And, and not only that, but we see the greater fulfillment of this feast in the Lord's table where, um, where the poor can come and eat for free and, and partake in uh, the remembrance and the symbolism and the power of the bread and the wine. Right. Um, that this isn't something that is discriminatory. Right. Remember that, that this is so important for those who are listening. Read the, read the Bible. So much of what God does is without discrimination. Hmm. It's so important to remember that the God, the, the, the Jesus, right. His love for the poor, um, the gospel call, you know, anyone who calls on his name can be saved that God is, you know, from the very beginning, uh, God makes that promise to Abraham. He says like, you will bless the nations. And right. so uh, his, his goal is always to, to, serve people without discrimination and, and to serve mm-hmm. them with equity. So. Amen. <sighs> well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Thank uh, you for I, doing the episode again. Oh, of course. I feel like we got into totally, I mean, some overlapping stuff, but we also can't, had some new stuff that I learned. So that was, that was really mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. And yeah. next time the book of Job. Yes. Yes. The book of Job. We're going to be so excited about that book. <laughs> um, no, we are excited about that book. There's a lot of hope in that book. So. There, there really is. So it'll, it'll be fun to talk about. Well, it's great to talk to you, All my right. friend. All right. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. It's Cody here and the That I May See podcast. Just kind of wanted to conclude this episode with a reminder that next time we'll be talking about Job. And Job is a man who had wealth and honor and status, and yet he, he finds himself underneath this crushing weight of suffering. And so we're going to try to show you some wonderful things in the book of Job next week. And you say, how can you see wonderful things in that book that's all about suffering? And um, well, you will find out next week. Um, I promise it's not an excuse, but we'll find out next week. And uh, we're just so excited that we're back. And thank you guys so much for listening. You guys have been awesome. Thank you for supporting us. Um, See you later.